this morning, uh, we're continuing in our walk through Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to go through that way, our series, Out with the Old, and uh, we're going to be in Colossians 3. Our verses for this morning are on the back of your Connect card. Uh, Versus, we're going to be in 11 through 14 this morning. But as I did last week, I want to do something for you this week. I'm going to read the passage in a different uh, version uh, this morning. uh, Just to kind of give you this uh, feel for that. But also, it's a kind of a teaching moment for us. Some of you are aware there's lots of different versions, translations, paraphrases of the scriptures that are out there. And this can be confusing sometimes. Uh, Anyone ever been confused by all the different versions, translations, paraphrases? Some of you, right? It can be confusing what's out there. On a Sunday morning, we use often at Mount Hope, really, we use the English Standard Version. I think it's a great translation of the Bible. Um, It's kind of a... Uh, more literal translation, one-to-one word translation, uh, one we feel really good about here. But there are a lot of different ones out there. And I do, when you're reading a passage, uh, sometimes one thing that can be helpful is reading it in a different translation or version. Uh, You might get a little different nuance out of it. Um, And so that can be helpful. Uh, Although in your ongoing regular study, Uh, I would recommend a version like the ESV or NIV or NASB. These are good, solid translations. Um, But this morning, any of you ever heard of the message translation? So the message, I would call it less a translation and more a paraphrase. Um, it, and the, here's the reason why. Because a translation usually would do a one-for-one. Like this word from the Greek language that it was originally written in. And one-for-one, here's an English word that's pretty close or as close as possible to what it meant. A paraphrase uh, uses multiple words often to bring out the nuance and meaning of a word or a text. So I don't look at a paraphrase as a uh, literal translation or, or that I would use for my heavy study, but it is something that's supplementary as maybe a commentary to help understand what is, um, what is going on in that passage. So the message I consider more of a paraphrase, not a, uh, not a literal translation. Uh, although Eugene Peterson, who uh, wrote the paraphrase, did go to the original languages to, uh, as his reference. So Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 17, in the message paraphrase. Here's what it says. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert. To what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity, like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. 
It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old wife. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. And now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new life of, is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Now, if you are following along in another version or translation, you'll see that's quite a bit different in its words uh, that they use. And that's why I, I look at that as a paraphrase. And um, that's, we wouldn't uh, use that as a part of our uh, Sunday morning exploring God's scripture together because being able to go through kind of word for word what it says. Uh, but they can be helpful supplementary kind of commentaries that might help you catch something in the text that's being communicated that you might not notice. Let me read this morning's passage for you, just the verses we're looking at in the English Standard Version. That's the Bible that's in your uh, pew, uh, your chair racks there. Um, and uh, we're just doing verses 11 through 14 today. Here's what it says. You'll hear it sounds a little different. Here's what it says in the ESV. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Lord, we come before you this morning and we humbly approach your word. Father, help us to stand under your word, not over it. Help us, Lord, to examine our lives in light of your word. May it search our hearts. May your spirit speak to us. May you guide us and through it, Lord, may you lead us into truth of who you are and who we are and how much we need you, Lord. Lord, we need you even to help us understand this word before us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're in this word beginning in verse 11 today. And as we do, as you've heard it, as you listen to it, you see that it uh, emphasizes or brings out some distinctions that sometimes exist. It's funny how uh, as we grow and culture and society changes, uh, how certain things change. Even the games that we play sometimes change or look differently uh, when we get older. Um, Anyone ever play this game when you were a kid? You know this game, right? Yeah, guess who? So you know how it's played, right? Uh, You pick it out and you try and guess who the other person is. Uh, And ultimately, you try and determine who someone is by what they looked like. And uh, in in many ways, uh, the game seems a bit inappropriate in in our uh, modern culture and society at times. trying to figure out who someone is by something, uh, simply what they look like, or asking questions um, based on that. But here's something that is true about, I think, the game and true about the world. Here it is. And that's that as a culture, there's an ongoing discussion about understanding who I am and who you are. Uh, That we ought to understand each other, where we're coming from, who I am and who you are. And somehow understanding this will affect the way that we relate and have an impact on the way that we relate to one another. That in order for us to relate to one another and understand one another, that there must be understanding of who we are. I am a white, middle-class, Gen X man who has spent most of his life in New England, aside from a few years out of college. And that's who I am. I bring that to the table. I bring that to my lens. I bring that to any conversation I have. I bring that to any interaction I have. You uh, may have different categories that you bring to interactions and relationships that you have. And there's an ongoing conversation, I think, in our culture, our society, that in order to understand how we're to treat one another, how we're to relate to one another, you first have to understand who you are and who the other person is. In the passage we're looking at today, Paul says to us that if your life is hidden with Christ... How you treat one another must be impacted by who you are and who they are. That how we relate to one another should be impacted by an understanding of who you are and who the other person is. Let's look at the passage together beginning in verse 11. And I want to stop actually at the first word when he in this question of who we are and who others are the first word of verse 11 is here 
And it would be easy to rush past that word and go into the rest of the verse. In fact, when I first read it, you probably didn't even notice I said it because it's one of those words you just skip past. Here, there is the, and let's just get on to what's most important. But it's actually a very important word because it defines who Paul is talking about and who these words are for. So where is here? Well, for Paul, here was first century Colossae in a church. But here, what Paul is saying is, here among the gathered Christians, among those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, among the new community of those who worship God, that's who here is. Paul is saying, everything I'm about to say, this is the context that it applies in. And that's important because what he's not talking about is there. Uh, where's there? There is any place outside of this context. Now those, the rules may be different out there. The world that you live in, the culture that you live in, they set their own values, they set their own rules, they say what's important, what's not important. Those rules exist out there, but I'm talking about here. I'm talking about in the place where people worship Christ. I'm talking about you who would follow Jesus. You who would say that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's who I'm talking to right now. It's the church in the first century Colossae, but it's church in 21st century Burlington, Massachusetts on May 19th, 2019. That's here. And it's, you say, well, Pastor Rick, that's obvious. Get on to the next point. But I don't want to move past it too quickly. Because if you don't understand that, we'll miss it. What Paul is saying, this is how you as Christians are to relate to one another. And if you try and take this paradigm and lens and force it onto people who don't understand and hold these same values you are, you're going to be vastly disappointed. Because this is how here is supposed to relate. Well, what is here? We'll jump down to the end of verse 11 because I think it gives us the two criteria that what here is. First of all, here is that Christ is all. He says, first of all, in your context, here means Christ is all. It means above all and he's worshipped above all and before all. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, jump back one page in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. If you're in your scriptures, jump back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. We didn't go through the whole book of Colossians, so we missed a little bit of context. We just jumped in at chapter 3, right in the middle of the letter, which probably wasn't entirely fair to Paul um, and to, to God's message to us. But, um, but back in chapter 1, he's already said who Christ is. So when he says Christ is all, this is what he means. Listen to these words. He's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by his blood through his cross. And Paul says this is the Christ 
that you are worshiping. So when we talk about here, he says it's a people that says Christ is all. Now if you went out to Simon's Park today or you went out to the common, although it sounds like it's raining pretty hard, you might not find many people out there, but on a non-rainy day, if we ever get one, I guess yesterday, if you were walking around and you asked someone in the common, what is it all about? What's, 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 what's it all about? I don't know the answers you would get. But I'm just going to go out on a whim and say you would not get many that would say Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. Because I don't know what the answer is out there. Out there the hokey pokey is what it's all about. Or something else. Or it's money or it's power or it's position or it's people or it's possessions. There's all kinds of answers of what it might all be about. But Paul says here Christ is all. Here you know better. Here Christ is what it's all about. And so that's who I'm talking to. Christ is all. But he says something else. Not only Christ is all, but he also says Christ in all. Christ is all and in all. So when you gather in your midst and you gather with people who have faith in Christ, what Paul is saying is you are people who the very living spirit of God has come to dwell in and you have Christ in you. But not only that, every person you look into their eyes in this gathered body here who worships Christ has Christ in them. And he says this is the criteria of the community of here. Christ is all and in all. So what? We'll back up in the verse. That's what the rest of this verse rests on. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What Paul is saying is these divisions exist in the world out there. There are racial divisions that are listed there. There are ethnic and cultural divisions that are listed there. There are societal class divisions that are listed there. But he says not here. Not here. And the reason they're not here is because Christ is all and Christ is in all. And so for you, your primary identity and my primary identity is first of all, as a follower of Christ, is that Christ is worshipped and Christ lives in me. And not only that, when I look at you, the first thing I should see is Christ in you. We live in a world that wants you to take something else as your primary identity. I think it's really an attack against the image of God that God created and lives within you and is put within you. Because they want to replace your primary identity as somebody created in God with the image of God with something else. So your ethnicity should come first. Your culture should be your primary identity. Your race should be your primary identity. Your sex or gender should be your primary identity. Something else, your national, nationality, what country you're from should be your primary identity. They're searching and saying, you need to have something as your primary identity. And Paul is saying in here, and the Bible is saying to us that first and foremost, if you're here, Christ 
is all and is in all and that must be your primary identity. And so you remove many of these distinctions. It's not that they don't exist. So I'll talk about that in a minute. But there is something. Here we recognize that racial, religious, cultural, and social class divisions, while they may exist, they are transcended by something far greater in value and substance than those that cause divisions there. There's no difference in our need for salvation or in the grace that's offered to us. Your nationality, your culture does not make you exempt from needing salvation in Jesus, nor does it make you need it any more or less than someone else. It does not make you any more or any less worthy of the grace of God extended to you. We all need it the same. There is something Paul saying transcends these distinctions. Now Paul is not telling them what he's speaking here is your salvation and your grace and who you are in Christ and the body of Christ. What Paul is not saying is that the distinctions don't actually exist. What I mean by that is this. There are other places where Paul is clear that even though there is no male or female, for example, in Christ. In other words, all need salvation equally and all Christ came for and loves equally. There are still distinct roles for men and women in Christ, in the church. He doesn't erase that. There's other places where Paul says there's various gifts in the body of Christ. Doesn't erase those distinctions. And in the very end of the Bible, if you go there, it says in heaven, there will be worshiping people from every tribe, every language, and every nation. So in heavenly worship, there are still distinctions that exist to God's glory, the same as you would go in a garden and every flower would not be exactly alike, but you see different beautiful flowers that exist in the garden and can be appreciated. Apparently God has an appreciation for people from every tribe, every nation, every language that will result in worship to his name. And yet, here, there are certain distinctions that are made out there that should not exist here. Here, those distinctions should be erased because Christ is all and is in all. We have to be careful about these things. Yes, there are distinctions, but there are some, but there is, we are equal in need of grace and in salvation. You know, at times in the past, Christians have made mistakes by taking away some individuality in the name of unity. One of the illustrations or instances that comes to mind is sometimes when Western missionaries would go to uh, Eastern countries or other countries in the global south and they would not only bring the message of Jesus and the hope of the gospel, but they would also bring with them their Western customs. And so one of the mistakes of early missionaries would be that they would go and they say, not only do you have to believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, you also have to wear a suit and tie. And I, that sounds strange to us, but it was very, it actually happened where, where people thought, well, this is how Christians have to act. And so what happened is that ended up being added on to the Christian message so that it became thought that if you lived in one of these nations and you didn't wear a suit and tie, then you were not a Christian because that was a distinctive factor. 
And it became a legalizing thing that got added on to the gospel. And in the name of unity, taking away some individuality uh, amounted to a heresy of wrecking the work of Christ in some places. And so we have to be careful. But these verses are clear. Some of the things that divide us out there ought not divide us in here. Because Christ is all and is in all. So if that's who we are, if that's who I am and that's who you are, you're in Christ, I'm in Christ, Christ is all and Christ uh, is in all, then how should we relate to one another? Because we understand who each other is, how should we relate to one another? Well, Paul finally gets to putting on some new clothes. The last couple of weeks we've talked about what to take off. Finally, we got enough clothes off that Paul is ready for us to put clothes on. Um, which is good. Uh, anyone ever walked out of the house without putting something important on, maybe? You forgot to put some piece of clothing on that was in? I hope not, but I think it happens sometimes. I actually walked in this morning, first service, and uh, I was talking to a woman in first service, and she said, oh, you're not speaking today? And I'm like, oh, I think I'm speaking today. What do you know that I don't know? Um, and she pointed, and I didn't have my microphone on, and it was like right at service time. I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, I had to run out and put my microphone on. I had forgot to put that on. But there are times where we can neglect putting on some things. Maybe it's not physical clothes, but Paul says there are things you're supposed to put on in your life. And here is the list, beginning in verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, don't skip past that too quickly either because that is, what's that? That's Paul saying, remember who you are and this is what you're supposed to do. And people get this backwards. They think Christianity is all about what you're supposed to do. No, no, no. Remember who you are, chosen, holy, beloved. Now, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So these are the new clothes that Paul says you're now supposed to put on. And if you look at this list today, it's interesting how culture over time changes about what it values and what it thinks is important and acceptable. Because I think if you look at this list today and you see things like, well, you know, put on compassion and kindness and meekness and humility and uh, bear with one another and forgive one another and, and, uh, and put on love above all, you and I might look at this list today and we say, well, Paul's just telling people to be nice. He's just, tell, he's just saying, look, why don't you just be nice? Just be nice, people. Paul's like, you know, the Mr. Rogers of the first century. Just be nice to everyone in your neighborhood. This will be better. This will make everything go along. And people outside, the, you know, the Christian community will, will think you're nice people. And they'll value you and respect you. And it'll help you get along in your work. Just be nice. But here's the thing, that may be what it sounds like in the 21st century. That's not what it would have sounded like in the first century that Paul was writing to. Paul was actually giving a very counter-cultural message. In the Greco-Roman world that he's writing to, there was no word for humility that did not include some aspect of feebleness and shame. 
Humility, when Paul says put on humility, he's not telling him them to act in a way that people will like you. He's actually telling them to act in a way that people are going to make fun of you. People are going to, it's not going to be respected in the world that you live in. It's extremely countercultural. And most people are going to think it's, uh, you're weak, you're feeble. You should be ashamed of yourself for acting that way. Because in the Greco-Roman world that Paul's writing to, there were gladiators and warriors. And this is who's respected. And this is who's elevated. Not the humble, meek, kind, loving, forbearing, forgiving people. So then why? Why does Paul say these ought to be your clothes? Why these characteristics and not others? Well, the simple answer is because this is the life that Jesus lived. And if Christ is all and in all, then your life ought to look like Jesus's. Too many people want to just have the power and the results of Jesus, but don't want to live the life that Jesus lived. And Paul is saying, look, the Lord that you serve was a compassionate, kind, meek, humble, forgiving, loving Lord as he walked the earth. So you also ought to be this way. Your life ought to be characterized by the same things that characterize Jesus' life. That the same way that Jesus came to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 and crossed racial and ethnic and gender sexual boundaries by talking to this woman and moral boundaries by talking to this woman that no one else would talk to who's there at the well alone, who's isolated for her, from her community, who's isolated from the people around her. And Jesus goes and shares with her a message of hope and salvation the same way Jesus had compassion and kindness and cross those boundaries ought to be the lives that you live with compassion, kindness, love, crossing boundaries that in your life as well. Because that is the life that Jesus has called you to, that you are to live lives of forgiveness, bearing with one another, loving one another. And it's easy for us, I think, it's sometimes to hear a message like this and to think of the person beside us as I hope they're listening. They really need to put on some of these garments. In fact, I'm making a list for my husband or my wife. And Have you tried putting this one on? Maybe you should try love on today. It's easy for us to think about this in light of someone else. But I think these directives are given to us much like the instructions on an airplane with about the oxygen mask. You put yours on first and then maybe you can help someone else. You put these clothes on in your life. You focus on your life being meek, humble, loving, kind, compassionate, bearing with one another, forgiving. Then maybe you can help someone else. But why don't you put your own oxygen mask on first? Make sure you've got those, that life in your life. And then maybe God will use you to help someone else. The other thing about these Characteristics I think is important is many of us think that, well, you know, I, I'm, it's fine to wear these things. I have no problem wearing these things. That the problem is once I go out of the house and I'm around other people, I mean, I'm generally a kind person <laughs> until I leave the house in the morning. 
There's a commentator that uh, I thought his words on this were insightful. He says this. He says, all these garments can be worn only in community with others, in relationships. How tempting to think that these garments would be so much easier to wear if we did not have to wear them among people. How much easier to think about compassion than to do it. How much easier to be kind when we were away from mean people. Christians become better Christians in community. And this, he says, in their families, among their associates, in their dorms, in their churches, where there is sweat and breath. And then he says this, the truth is, the very things we may think are keeping us from putting on these garments are the things that make possible their wearing. Listen to that again. The very things that we may think are keeping us from putting on these garments so that person that you have a hard time being kind around, that person who wronged you that you have a hard time forgiving, it's really hard to put on that forgiveness coat, really hard to put on that kind coat around that person. He says, these are the things that make it possible for their wearing. Because here's the reality. You can never be a forgiving person unless somebody has wronged you and then you have to extend forgiveness to them. You can never say, well, I'm a very forgiving person unless at some point somebody has wronged you and you have then offered forgiveness to them. You can never say, well, I'm a very kind person. Unless at some point you have had someone in your life who does not deserve your kindness and you show kindness to them. This being kind to people who are kind to you is easy. Anybody can do that. There's no points for that. That does not mean you're a kind person. The very things that we think make it difficult are the things that actually enable us to wear these garments. I cannot bear with one someone if they don't need someone, if they don't have something in their life that means I have to bear with them about. I mean, if it's easy to be around them, it's no problem. But when it's hard, when they have a burden that they need help carrying, well, then I bear with someone in love. We're called to live this way, but it's difficult. It's kind of like the words of the old kind of poem that says to live above with saints we love oh that will be glory but to live below with saints we know well that's another story sometimes that's the thinking in our life ah no problem I can't wait to get to heaven that's true but what about living around some of the saints that God you're going to be in with eternity for learning to love in that way so some of the barriers that existed then still exist today, but we ought to understand one another that you are in Christ and I am in Christ and so we should love one another. Unfortunately, those barriers, they still exist in our world at times. They still exist in the place where we live. There's still racial, ethnic, cultural, societal divisions. Even within our own theological tribe of the Assemblies of God, there was a study done and a sociologist, Michael Emerson at Rice University, said, said this. He said uh, he studies race and religion 
And he said, even though the Assemblies is one of the most diverse organizations and denominations in the world, says 40% of their membership is non-white, but nowhere near 40% of congregations are multiracial. So even though we've come a long way, even in our own just small theological tribe, there's still work to be done. And I think we can have to be careful because I think all of us would probably say, well, this isn't a problem for me. I don't have a problem with this. I don't have a problem with the isms and the schisms. I don't have a problem with it. Every one of us thinks, well, it's someone else's problem and they don't get it. But I think it's an opportunity for us to look and say, is this a problem within our own? Our own lives? Even within our own church? I am grateful that over 40 nations of people here attend Mount Hope and call it home. I think that's a work of God. I think that's a blessing. But it doesn't mean that we have all figured this out. It's too simple of an answer to just have a person that's a different race or culture or station in society over to your house or in your community group and think we have dealt with this scripture. Being around people in proximity to people is just the start. It's often the only solution much of the world around us has. Just get around people who are different than you and that'll fix everything. But there's an internal heart issue that might still be there. We need to be the people who treat each other with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. Here, we love. In fact, if I could boil this whole text down to three words, those are the three words I think that would say it. Here, in the community of Christians and those who Christ is all and in all, here we, one another, love, put on love above all of these. Because since Christ is all and in all, here we love. That ought to be what can be said about us. Imagine the difference if in a divided and fractured world, people walked into the church and found a group of very unique people united by God whose image they were being renewed into, practicing kindness, humility, compassion, meekness, patience, sparing with one another and forgiving each other. What impact would that have on the world around us? The world outside of the church has, a div has diverse people living, sitting, and working beside each other. You don't get any credit for that in the world's eyes. I can go to a movie theater and see a diverse group of people sitting beside each other in the same room. But what is lacking is a place where people not only sit beside each other, but they love each other. A place where people dress differently. They put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and loving each other. And what Paul is saying is that place should be here. That here ought to be a place, not where you sit shoulder to shoulder with someone who is different from you, but 
where you and I look face to face with one another and learn to have this kind of dress and clothes towards one another. That we know each other, that Christ is all and in all. And living this community in this way will draw others to the Christ that we serve and that we know. And that's the hope that we have. As the music ministry comes, let me just close with a story that I've shared before, but I, wanna, I think it fits when it comes to this clothing and how others see us. Because it is how we are to act here, but it's not just that. It's people from the outside see us. And it's a story that Ravi Zacharias shares, and I've heard Ravi share it multiple times, and I figure if Ravi, who's a much better preacher than I, can do it multiple times, so can I. So here's a story. It's a true story. One day an evangelist by the name of Yaakov arrived in a certain village. He commiserated with an elderly man named Simmerman on the tragedies he had experienced and talked to him about the love of Christ. Simmerman abruptly interrupted Yaakov and told him that he wished to have nothing to do with Christianity. He reminded Yaakov of the dreadful history of the church in his town. A history replete with plundering, exploiting, and indeed with killing innocent people. My own nephew was killed by them, he said, and angrily rebuffed any effort on Yaakov's part to talk about Christ. They wear those elaborate coats and caps and crosses, he said, signifying a heavenly commission, but their evil designs and lives I cannot ignore. Yaakov, looking for an occasion to get Simmerman to change his line of thinking, said, Simmerman, can I ask you a question? Suppose I were to steal your coat, put it on, and break into a bank. Suppose further that the police sighted me running in the distance but could not catch up with me. One clue, however, put them on your track. They recognized your coat. What would you say to them if they came to your house and accused you of breaking into the bank? I would deny it, Zimmerman said. Ah, but we saw your coat, they would say. The analogy annoyed Simmerman, so he ordered Yakov to leave his home. Yakov continued to return to the village periodically just to befriend Simmerman, encourage him, and share the love of Christ with him. Finally, one day, Simmerman asked, How does one become a Christian? And Yakov taught him the simple steps of repentance for sin and trust in the work of Jesus Christ and gently pointed him into the shepherd of his soul. Simmerman bent his knee on the soil with his head bowed and surrendered his life to Christ. As he rose to his feet, wiping his tears, he embraced Yaakov and said, Thank you for being in my life. And then he pointed to the heavens and whispered, You wear his coat very well. And I bring this up because we are told this morning to put on a new garment. You're told to put on the clothes of Christ. You're told to put on the attributes of Christ. And other people are watching. And this man, Simmerman, he was watching when Christians did not act like Christ. And it turned him away. And he wanted nothing to do with it. But he was also watching when a man chose to live like Christ and act like Christ. And it drew him to the Savior. And so you and I, we are to put on these new clothes to love one another, 
that here would be a place that would be different such that people would be drawn to Jesus. I want to pray for us as we respond to this word from God. As we do and as I do, just a minute, don't bow your heads yet. Look at me one more minute. (laughs) Here's the reality. We live in a broken world. It's broken. It's been broken by sin. And I am not glossing over pain you may have experienced because of this broken world, because of some distinction that may exist in your life. But I don't want you to miss, because of that distinction in your life, what God has for you, because God does not see that as an obstacle to His grace and salvation. I don't want us to miss that. The things that you and I, or if you have experienced, whether it's racial, ethnic, cultural, discrimination, prejudice, hatred, those are not things Paul's saying doesn't exist, but what he's saying is those are part of the brokenness of our world. They're part of the broken, they're part of the sin of the world we live in. That this diversity that we have will exist even in heaven, but it will exist in such a way that the brokenness won't be a part of it. That Christ is all and is in all. So whatever it is in your life that may be there, I ask that you would help God, you would ask God to help you see whatever it might be causing that pain or division and say, God, help me to be to have that forgiveness and love and understanding and work towards the healing of that brokenness in my life and in maybe uh, also in the lives of others around that's a part of the sin that's a part of the curse on our world that pain that exists but here let it start here that it would be different now let's pray God we recognize that this word in the midst of our world and our culture is an important word for us today And Lord, there's so many voices and so many messages that are trying to occupy space in our heart and mind. Even now, as we look at your word, there are are so many qualifiers that come into our mind from the culture around us. So many yeah buts that come into our minds and the world around us. Lord, may we stay true to your word. May you help us to hear what your word is saying to us. Father, I ask that you would search each and every one of our hearts. Take your divine flashlight and look at every corner of our heart because we can deceive ourselves and think we don't have a problem with these things. We can deceive ourselves and think we've got this dealt with in our lives. Lord, help us. Help us as a church and help us as individuals to understand Lord, how you see us to understand how we're to relate to one another, to live out this word that you've given to us and put on these new clothes as we love one another, God. Teach us how to live that word out here. In Jesus' name, by Jesus' power, and for Jesus' glory.
we ask it. Amen.